It seems to basically be the story of my life. I go to update. I go to update the iPad and I update the apps. And then after I get done, I click update again. And it says there's 17 more updates after the updates. It's like update times times two. That just means you have gone so long before updating your apps. You ever wait? Are you a seeker? Do you seek updates? I'm a seeker. I like to seek updates. And that usually is good and bad. I've found that that sometimes breaks shit because the updates are fresh and new. Try not to get the day one updates. What am I talking about? I don't really have a lot of tech news in this episode, I don't think so. There's your tech segment. <laughs> don't update. No, I'm just kidding. Ladies and gentlemen, hello. How are you doing? Welcome back to the Heine House Gaming and Tech Podcast. Um, the big five zero, folks. Yeah, baby. Yeah, absolutely. It is such a pleasure to be here to talk with you all today. And we have hit the milestone, episode 50. I think this is um this is great. This is great. You know, when you start doing anything, you don't really, I don't know. I, I went into this expecting just to go in, have fun and make content that I want. Talk about the things that I enjoy, gaming, tech, laugh a bit, tell stories, get involved with the community like I have been doing, take voicemails. You know, it's evolved and it's a lot of fun. And I appreciate you all being here. Thank you so, so much. Milestone 50. Folks, I want to say, um, if you have enjoyed the episode in any capacity, I would appreciate a review on your favorite podcasting app, whether that be Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or if you're on Spotify. Can you even can you even give reviews on Spotify? Spotify, number one, is jumping up and viewership I have looked at on my stats, which is really, really cool to see. It was very low at the beginning, but now it's like pew, jumping up. It's very convenient for people, and I understand that. So I'm just happy to have it there. Very, very cool. But uh, yeah, a little quick review, a couple sentence review. Uh, you know, Ding Wu is in the house, you know. <laughs> uh, appreciate you all. Thank you for being here. And of course, before we get onto the show, the most amazing people are right here on your screen. The patrons, patreon.com slash Jason Hoyne. Jason Hoyne. Thank you all so much for your support. Get in on that main floor, main floor and above. You get that extra additional show every month, that Heine House after party where I talk about things that I go in a little deeper detail. I get a little bit more uh, candid, a little more personal. We talk about stuff and, uh, you know, we go back and forth. I, I just dive in on topics that I can't really spend the time on the podcast doing so. It's only five bucks a month. That's right. And if you enjoy the podcast and want to see it continue, that's how you show that support right here. The show is completely funded by the patrons on Patreon. Let's jump in. I don't have a whole lot of tech news, to be honest. I think we're starting to sort of feel the um, effects of COVID, right? I think we're starting to start now after a solid month, at least. I mean, like officially, right? We're starting to sort of feel the effects of people being quarantined indoors, not going out, not doing things there. I mean, there's there's news. There's things that's been happening, but it's not like a flood of it. Uh, Stephanie helps me every week gather articles. And we put them in a document and then I go through them and stuff like that. And 
to be honest, she's like, man, I mean, there's stuff out there and I went to look too. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really see a whole lot going on too much. So, um, in fact, I, I don't really have any tech news. I mean, I guess I kind of do. We could talk about, I'm, I'm recording the podcast in 48 kilohertz and maybe we'll talk about that in, in tech at the very end of the show, but, uh, we're going to go with that. Thanks. Shout out to you, Ryan, for uh, hitting me up and talking about that. Love geeking out. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we've got some gaming stuff. A lot, Actually, it's all gaming stuff. So let's jump into it. And then we'll do some gaming history. We've got some gaming history. There's some good games that were released the, this week, too. A lot of cool stuff. So everyone, if you don't have a Switch, I know you've been looking for a Switch. You've been trying to get a hold of a Switch. And they're just not available right now course due to covid everything is uh, kind of put put on halt uh production slowed down a lot of things nintendo has said that hey they're they're working on it but you know hey can only do what we can do so switches are not really available but some guy uh put together a switch he built a switch using only <laughs> repair parts third-party parts can you believe it so he ordered like joysticks, logic board, screen, case, everything like aftermarket and put together a switch of his own. Uh, so yeah, you can either wait it out or you can just build one yourself. I don't recommend you do this. <laughs> For one, you, it actually takes some immense skill in soldering and also just, I mean, I mean, computing. I mean, I, I wouldn't even know what to do with all this thing. And I, I feel like I'm kind of a, a geek and uh, I don't have any, I would have any idea where to start. This person built this switch by using about $200 of replacement parts, third-party parts from China and other online auctions. Uh, this person is known simply as Star, Starbaz37. And uh, I guess he's some sort of hardware hacker modder creator uh he shared details in some posts online documenting not only the parts required to do it but the build process in which he took very complex assembling nintendo switch from scratch to be clear is extremely difficult very tricky and uh, is definitely not meant for the amateur electronics nerd how about that i bet um yeah you know if you're just desperate to play animal droppings i would not do this i would <laughs> wait for a switch and buy one there um, yeah, so, uh, Starbaz said that it took him about two months to, uh, get all of the parts itself, just to get the parts to do this. So this is definitely a, a passion project, doing it out of love, probably something that just wanted to enjoy to do. Uh, so yeah, it requires some real expertise. I actually have a picture of, if I have the uh, screen mirroring up here. Let me go ahead and pop that up so you guys can see this. It's actually, it's really cool because at this point, when you do this, now you are able to, let's see if this works. There it is. You now can see he's using this like transparent um, case, which I love these. I loved them on the N64 and Game Boy Advance and a whole bunch of other great consoles used to do this. They used to do this back in the day and I love it. But how cool, very cool looking. And sure enough, after putting everything together... It works. It works. How cool is that? I don't see any dock or anything like that, but it uh, looks like he was able to put together a Switch. What a badass. Uh, Sony launched this Play at Home initiative, and you may have heard about this this week, but they're launching it with some free games 
And also they're setting up a fund for indie studios who are affected by COVID, which is really, really great. So to help both gamers sheltered at home and independent game studios affected by the coronavirus, Sony Interactive on Tuesday morning unveiled a play at home initiative. Uh, The play at home initiative has two components. First, providing free games to help PlayStation community uh, gamers be entertained at home. And finally, establishing a fund to help smaller independent game studios who may be experiencing financial difficulties, uh, helping them continue to build their games and create great experiences for gamers is what Ryan, uh, what's his name? Ryan, uh, Jim Ryan. There it is. Jim Ryan, who is the CEO. Uh, They said in a blog post on Sony's site, which is really, really cool. So there's two different parts to this. I think it's fantastic. Uh, PlayStation players will be able to download Naughty Dog's Uncharted. All right. The Nathan Drake collection, actually. That's a three-game collection for free. So you'll be able to download that starting uh, Wednesday, which it's already happening. It's happening right now through May 5th. So get on there. You can download that right now, which is pretty great. And then in addition to the free games, they have formed a $10 million fund to support indie game developers. And uh, Mr. Ryan went on to say, um, independent developers are vital to the heart and soul of the gaming community. And we understand the hardships and financial struggles that many smaller gaming studios are facing. More information on this fund will be released at a later date, but the fund has been set up, which is great. I think that's fantastic. I was just talking about this to Steph, not that I want to like dive into like, you know, the COVID and the, and the economy and the, the world changing. I think we all know that the world is changing. We can see it. We're all living it. This isn't, you know, COVID doesn't, uh, doesn't pick and choose. COVID is it's worldwide. Right. So, and I was just talking with Steph and actually with, with my good friend Bido last night for a little while is that like, we're going to see the effects of this for years to come, years to come. This is a, a very, very serious thing. And it's just kind of, you know, there's a lot of people unemployed, losing their jobs, you know, a lot of stuff going on. It's just a, a crazy time. And, um, yeah, I just hope everyone can recover. We will recover. Of course, that's what we do. We get back on our feet. We move forward. We'd be bigger, better, and stronger after it as much as we can anyway, of course. But good on you, Sony. I think that's great. Thank you, Sony. Help the indies for sure. Um, are you guys playing Valorant yet? I was just talking to my homie, Cody. He uh, got in on it. He's been playing it. He said he really likes it. He says it's kind of, it's, this is Riot's new, I, I don't know if I want to call it a hero shooter, but it's, they say it's some sort of like, I don't know. They said tactical shooter in the title, which kind of had me like my ears perked up. I'm like, tactical CSGO mixed with Overwatch. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, all right, when I hear tactical, I start to get, I get shivers because I think Rainbow Six, like early rain. Hold up, hold up, pump the brakes. Not new Rainbow Six. I'm talking about old Rainbow Six, like Raven Shield, SWAT 4. I start thinking about that. Like, that's real tactical. But I think what they really mean is tactical as in, like, picking your hero, picking the right player for the job, and then working as a team with other players who are also picking their players for the good of the job to get the job done, right? That's I think that's what they really mean, if that makes sense to you. Um, like Overwatch, kind of like Overwatch. So yeah, I don't know. I'm interested in it. I did actually sign up for a Riot account today. So I have that. It says something like we have to watch, you have to link your Riot to your Twitch. Then you have to watch a Twitch stream that has drops enabled. 
then if you get the drops and you you log in and then you might be able to be granted like access to it. I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'll just wait. I'll wait for it to come out. It's cool. You know, it's cool. Uh, but it does look interesting. It does look cool. And uh, I'd like to play it. However, there is something that's happening in that that people are sort of, uh, they're uneasy about, and that is their anti-cheat system. Actually, we have a lot to talk about about cheating and hacking in this episode. It's already started off with that switch, that hacking switch mod, right? <laughs> so we have, we have, first of all, let me just start by saying this sentence. We have a serious problem with cheating in online video games. It is absolutely out of control. I think it has been out of control for a long time, but when you start to incorporate more and more people investing and cheating programs, hacking and modding, then when you throw that in the mix with like free-to-play games like Warzone or games that are extremely popular you know, like Warzone, Call of Duty, like Overwatch, like Valorant that's going to be, like PUBG, like all of these games that are so popular, you have a you basically have a recipe for disaster when it comes to gameplay for the for the end user. Not for the end user who's the one cheating. Oh, they're great. They're just running around getting chicken dinners, destroying everyone, having fun, whatever. I don't know what I don't know what the fuck is wrong with you. That's only fun for how long? I don't know. Give me a, give me a timeline. A day or two? Eventually, you're going to have to figure out how to do something in the real world. You know, like, eventually, you're going to have to figure out how to play a game. Actually have a skill. Get good at a game. Yeah, I get pissed. Because I work really hard at gaming and playing games. I take it very seriously. And just to be completely ransacked by cheaters is really frustrating. Especially in online play. There's no room for that. We have Warzone. We have Call of Duty talk later on this about, about cross-play and how PC people are hacking. Oh, God. We're going to get into it. But this also raises red flags with Valorant in Riot's new game because what they're doing... And I actually... I have thoughts. I have thoughts. We'll talk. We'll talk. I mean, we got the time, right? Where, I mean, where, where are you going? You know, we're, we're here. We're talking. <laughs> so, again, it's this cat and mouse balance between fighting and combating the cheating and hacking in games and having, you know, a gameplay experience that is legit. But what Riot is doing in their new game, um, Valorant, is they have this new Vanguard anti-cheat system, okay? Here's the kicker, which is raising red flags with people. It involves a kernel-level driver, Although it has very low-level access, but it does have low-level access to your system kernel. All right, and that's raising some red flags and eyebrows for people. Because while this Vanguard anti-cheat system only launches when uh, the game is being played, Riot says the system also makes use of kernel mode driver that starts operating as soon as Windows boots up. <clears throat> that is a big change from the pre-Vanguard anti-cheat system that they had, which only operated entirely uh, in a user mode level. All right, so now it's kernel mode level. What does this mean for people who aren't very tech savvy on that element, which I actually had to look into it as well because I want to know ex exactly what that is. I'm like, wait, what are we doing in here? 
So in layman's terms, it basically has low level, but control over your Windows kernel, which is basically your operating system. So it takes, it takes, it can take control and have access to that. Their plan and idea for this is that it is more difficult for, for cheaters and developers, uh, people who develop cheating programs to create these programs that work in the game and then inject it in the game. It's more difficult for them because not only do they have the anti-cheat system that Riot has made, but they also have to get around Windows security and Windows kernel. Uh, I think it's like Windows kernel driver mode or something like that. Some crazy thing like that. So you have like different levels. And again, I'm not like this. I'm not like a computer scientist, right? So I don't know exactly. But what I do know is that anything that is attached to your like root <laughs> your C drive, <laughs> your kernel, that's really, really big, big news. So again, why is this good? Why is this bad? It's good because it's more difficult for cheat software developers to create the cheats in the game. They have to jump through many, many hoops or I, I think it's called rings or levels here. Why is it bad? Because although it is low level, that program does have access to your Windows kernel, which, I mean, do you trust Riot? with having that type of access to your computer? What if that goes bad? What if we have issues with Windows now? Like, will it destroy things? Will it fuck up your your Windows? I mean, hey, hey, it's all possible. But we've seen pretty much everything happen, right? We've seen everything. The benefit to this, though, is that Riot says it would be extremely difficult for people to make programs that then cheat in their games. And even if they did get through, they would see it almost immediately. And they said on here, I'm quoting them, they would be able to respond to cheaters within hours. I don't know if that's one, two, three, four. It says hours. But still, as opposed to days, I think that's pretty good. Now, I think, I think this is... See, I'm kind of torn with this. I don't know. I want to know what you guys think about this. Um, for anyone playing competitive gaming, yeah, I mean, this is like serious deal because you can't you can't have this in competitive gaming. Casual gaming, it happens all the time, but it they do they they spend a lot of time and a lot of money working on keeping this out of competitive gaming. Does happen though. I have been playing Warzone. My next article is about Warzone. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say the article. I'm gonna talk about what happened in Warzone recently, and I'll try to make it quick because I know I know not everyone plays Call of Duty or gives a shit, and that's totally okay. I really don't give too much two shits really either, except for this hacking and cheating, which is a big problem. I've been playing Warzone recently for the last two weeks. I try to get on there and play with the friends stuff like that. We get on there every single match within the last two weeks. Mark my words. I even recorded some footage. I would I would love to show it, but. I was like, what am I going to do with this? Upload it. There's 10 million fucking people posting about the cheat. So who gives a shit? But I did record some footage of me getting killed with people standing inside walls, basically wall hacking and aimbotting me. Recorded. I was playing with my friend Brandon and it was happening. So every time we play, we are getting completely destroyed by cheaters who are using wall hacks, aimbot, headshot, aimbot, all kinds of stuff, right? I don't even know what else is out there. All I know is the tried and true classics, aimbot and wall hack. Those are the two ones that everyone uses. That's stories all this time from the beginning of time. Those are what they fucking use, right? But um, 
And even last night, man, I was playing with Bido. We call it the meat grinder. We're like, let's go into the meat grinder. Let's try to just play a few rounds. And hopefully, hopefully this will be resolved because Activision posted, all right, the Call of Duty page posted that they have permabanned 70,000 accounts just in the last two weeks. 70,000 accounts. Now, it's a free-to-play game. They go in, they create another email address. How easy is that? Sign up, get into the game they're playing again. They have to go through their hoops to get the cheats working, but they're back in and cheating again. Yes, it's a process, but they do it. But at least they're banning 70,000 fucking accounts. Can you believe that? Last night, we're, last night, we were in the chopper. We took off. We went up. We were really high. We are flying in. I'm on the side of the chopper. I got a full health, full armor. I got a headshot. Boom. Killed me instantly. I dropped on the chopper, landed on the ground, dead. In the chopper. There's absolutely no way you can get that hit. I mean, be very, very rare to get. But it wasn't like we were getting shot at and lit up. Like, we weren't getting shot at over and over and over. And then, like, a lucky headshot. It was just like, boom, dead. It's ridiculous. So every time we played, and that was last night, even after all of this. So so cheating in games is a, is a serious problem. Serious problem. And it really affects everything. Now, because of all of this, because all this is happening, I'm starting to like almost lean to the fact that I, I almost think I would want an anti-cheat system to take control. I mean, this is crazy for me to think. Like, I can't believe I'm actually saying this. But I almost would, I would almost say, yeah, like, let's, let's try it. Let's get in there and have an anti-cheat system that takes control of the Windows kernel and has a checklist that has to check all these boxes in order for you to get in, verify the files, do whatever the fuck you do, but make it so that we can have a legit and honest gaming experience. I want to play the games. I want to have fun. But I, but what's the point? What's the point? I watched this video the other day of a, 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 someone who plays PUBG. Is this YouTuber who plays PUBG, some YouTube PUBG streamer, got killed by, by a hacker or cheater. I keep saying hacker just because that's just what I've always called it. It's cheating, basically. And when you die in PUBG, you're on the ground and you can still communicate like there's open comms. So he was like, hey, man, like, why are you cheating? Like, and then the guy was just like, uh, I, you know, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm trying to go up against these kids and they can't do it. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. He's like, they were having a conversation there. And after he died on the ground, like, like they were talking. He stayed in the building. And they talked. He actually ended up interviewing this guy. And this guy was talking about, and I always think like it's some like young kids, like these kids who haven't played or something like, oh, I'm just going to go in there and cheat. Majority of, and what this guy was saying is like a majority of these cheaters are like old people or older people. He, this guy was in his like mid forties or late forties. That's not old, but he was like, yeah, it's like a bunch of us old dudes who like, he's like, I don't have the reflexes anymore. I don't have the reaction time. And I, I can't keep up with these kids who, who play it 24 seven. And this, I'm like, he's making excuses straight up. He's making excuses. And there's, that's no logical reason to go cheating in a game at all. But just the fact that he felt that way to then go and figure out or buy or get whatever these cheats for a game and then come in and cheat. And he goes, yeah, man, I, he goes, honestly, I was just, I, I went and did it. I was trying to actually get banned. I was cheating. I was trying to get banned because I wanted an excuse to never come back to this game. I wanted them to find it, ban me, and then done. Not forced because I can't stop playing it. I'm addicted to it. And 
again, it's like, dude, what the fuck is your problem? Like, that's still no reason to go in there and ruin everyone else's experience. Like, how do you, like, he asked him, how do you feel about that? He's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm really not that ha- proud of it. I'm not, not proud of it at all. He's like, but he goes, but what's the point when I join a game, if I play it vanilla, I go in there, I get killed by a cheater every time. Everyone's using it. So I have to use it to fight against them. He gave an example. He said, I was playing, I play PUBG. I'm cheating. I'm looking across the map through a mountain and I see somebody who is also using the cheat because you can see them looking at them. He's like, and we were doing, we were like jogging, like they would crouch. I would crouch. I would shoot up in the sky. I would shoot. They would shoot up in the sky. Then I would, but through a mountain, they can see each other. So like that person on the other side of the mountain and this dude are using the same cheats. Like he goes, I can see everyone in the map who's using the cheats. And then at the end of the game, basically it's just like five people who are using the cheat going against each other, ducking and dodging. Like that's so stupid. That is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. And it's frustrating for people who want to play it. So anyway, this long, fuck, sorry. I'm sorry. But this long winded thing. Again, what's happening is we're all at home. We're playing games. People are indoors and this shit is going on. And it's, you want to talk about pandemic. This shit is fucking crazy. It's out of control. So part of me against every ounce of security and will that I have, I almost want to say, yeah, Riot, you know what? Put some really strict and, you know, Gosh, it's tough. It's tough for me to even say it. But yeah, go for it. I mean, like, take control of my PC as long as you can give me an honest experience in game and I don't get fucked over by cheaters. <sighs> I don't know. But you remember back in the 90s, like enhanced CDs and uh, CQ ROM. You remember those anti cheat, anti piracy shit that would, dude, if you installed that, it would completely ruin your Windows. Dude, how many, how many Windows XP users had to reinstall Windows because of CQ ROM? Uh, I, I, hi, I'm Jason, and I've had to do that like three times. Hello. Been there, done that. It's frustrating. It's anti-piracy anti, uh, software that was embedded into games in the late 90s and early 2000s. But it was extremely aggressive, and it would take control of Windows components. And in some cases, it would just destroy your... Windows. They did. They did. And they got shut down. But the company is still around. And they still, to this day, offer software on their site. You can download it today. That goes in to to delete. and re- It's a removal tool. Because it embeds itself. And even when you uninstall it, quote unquote, it's still there. And fucks you over. So you have to download their uninstaller program. That then goes in and it uninstalls it. It's like... And the problem was is that they did it to where they didn't show it. They're like, shh, install this in here. Don't let them know it's there. To try to be like, yo, we'll get those hackers. We'll get those cheaters. They won't even know it's here. They fucked over the people who want to play the games normally. CQ ROM. Go look it up. It's really, really. There's, there's many, many others. Many others. But that was one of them. Anyway. What do you feel about that? Do you, do you play online games? It has, do people who cheat affect you? Is it frustrating to you? I want to know. I want to know. And honestly, send me a voicemail. I would love to chat with you about this. This is really a hot topic. 503-908-5490 is the phone number. 503-908-5490.
It's very frustrating. Honestly, I stopped, I'm stopped playing Call of Duty now. Like, I just can't go in. I cannot go in. It's out of control. There's just, it's not like, oh, it happens once every 10 rounds. It's every fucking round. That's how bad it is. I would be mad at any game that does that. And I, who gives a shit about Call of Duty? Fuck Call of Duty. Fuck all these other games. I'm talking about any game. This goes deeper than just this. It's any game you play. Why do some companies have great, like, how many hackers and cheaters have you experienced in Overwatch? I guess I really don't know, but I'm going to say not very many. Not very many. We used to play that shit. We probably played that game like solid for at least the first year, whatever it came out. We were very much into that game. I don't think I experienced too many cheaters. I don't think. Not that I could tell that I remember. I didn't get furious as I am now because it's so blatant and obvious in, in Call of Duty. PUBG. Oh, yeah. Can't even tell you how many times I got fucking killed in that game. <laughs> Steph's smiling. It's, it is, you gotta laugh, but it's frustrating. You gotta laugh. How about, uh, sorry, let's move on. How about Seinfeld, the point and click adventure game? Wait. <laughs> is it real? It's real, son. Uh, there's two guys, Jacob and Ivan are the guys' names here. They're behind this. It's a hilarious and incredible 90s pixel art style point and click adventure game which they say is about absolutely nothing, just like the original show, Seinfeld. It's about nothing. It's about nothing. And it went on for 20 years. We're all fucking idiots. <laughs> We're all idiots. It was madly popular. They say on here, you may be thinking, I quote them, you may be thinking, you idiots, why would you make a game based on a sitcom that lasted over 20 years? And potentially incur the wrath of lawyers. Well, their plan is to make a pitch. This is a pitch on their idea. They're calling it, it's a game about nothing. That's their pitch. What they want to do is they want to use this as a pitch to have the internet drum up interest before they approach their, the actual rights holders of Seinfeld. I wonder if Jerry Seinfeld would go for it. To be honest, he's actually doing a lot of stuff online. He's doing stand-up again. He's done Jerry having coffee with comedians on his YouTube channel. All right. I mean, again, which may or may not really have been his ideas. He's got producers and writers and shit that follow him around all day. He basically sits on his ass and drinks coffee and does nothing. But hey, it's Jerry Seinfeld. He's earned that right. So a game like this, I think he would look at it. And I think he'd be into it, to be honest. You know, he's an opportunistic He's, he's, he's an entrepreneur, right? So he, he does that sort of thing. He's into that. He likes ideas. But uh, it looks like an early point-and-click adventure game from LucasArts, like Full Throttle and a bunch of others. Um, I would play it. I for sure would. SeinfeldGame.com is the link. I actually have some Giphy Jiffies of uh, some of the game here if you want to see it. I know you do. Look at this. Isn't that cool? How about it? Old school, point and click. Character select. Yeah. I think it looks pretty legit, to be honest. So yeah, great pixel art. Great 90s aesthetic. I like it. Give them a shout out. I'm doing my part. I'm trying to help the indies out. Or how about it? Seinfeldgame.com. 
we keep hearing about this Mario remastered. And I'm trying not to report on any speculation or any of these rumors and shit. But what has happened is that now we have VideoGameChronicle.com, VGC, and also Eurogamer just reported on this. So I, th I thought, okay, if Eurogamer threw down on it, then let's go ahead and talk about it. They're reporting that this new Mario remastered game is going to be coming to Switch. All right, reported by VGC and Eurogamer. They said the game is due to be announced um, as Nintendo shares more details about their Universal project. Remember, they're making theme parks with the help of Universal, right? They're collaborating. So once that becomes more uh, set in stone, they're going to start probably announcing it. They also said that they're probably waiting more towards after their animated Mario film is in the works or and or completed. So in the future, we may have some stuff right there to talk about. The remastered game would be coming from four different consoles, N64, GameCube, Wii, and the Wii U. Are you ready for a Mario 64 remake, HD remake? I know I am. I'm down for that. Speaking of HD remakes, are you ready for Crisis? Can it run Crisis, bro? Bruh, 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 bruh. Crisis Remastered, it's coming. It's going to feature a variety of graphical enhancements, including support for software-based ray tracing. Notice I said software-based. Software-based. So that is going to be implemented into the game on the software level, not the hardware in the GPU. So very interesting there. I wonder how that's any different than the hardware-based GPU ray tracing. I'd have to see. Going to have to have one of those high-end NVIDIA cards to take advantage of it. But... Uh, doesn't matter. Even if you do have the high-end NVIDIA card, it's going to smoke it because it's Crisis, and that's what it does. No, seriously. The original Crisis came out in 2008, and I have to say, it was probably the best-looking game, mind-blowing, with what you could do in that game. You could, like, shoot trees, like, limbs, and they'd fall off. Even, like, oil drums. If you shot an oil drum, the oil would, like, leak out of the bullet hole that came out, and you could throw it in the water, and it would dissipate... And it would look like the oil and water would mesh and you could see it. It was it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Even to this day. Um, and due to due to the early, well, I say the early time it was released, but it was this the time it was released. Due to the technology, I'd rather say, the technology at where it was at, multi-threaded, multi-core computing was was still in its early days. I mean, we were running dual cores at that time still. There were some quad cores, very early, early quad cores, I think. But most people, pretty much, I'd say almost 90% of the PC population had dual cores uh, and processors. And even GPUs were not anywhere near that. Fuck, be, we were lucky to get one gig of onboard memory in our GPU at that time. Um, yeah, man, if you had two gigs, like you had a, what would have been a really hot card at that time? An 8800 GTX, maybe? Uh, that probably been a really hot card. And that had like one and a half gigs, I think, or two gigs. I mean, you were a fucking boss. You were balling, you know? Run those in SLI. Woo -hoo -hoo. Yeah, send me a Valentine's Day card, you know? It's pretty hot. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> Crisis Remastered is coming. Um, Crytek is also co-developing the release with the help from Saber Interactive. That studio helped bring The Witcher 3 Nintendo Switch. So they're going to be using some uh, Switch trickery to get that to run because uh, guaranteed if your Animal Droppings hasn't smoked your Switch already, be prepared to light it on fire because Crisis is coming to Switch, folks.
No release date is a, is planned or announced yet, but they have signups on their site for email updates. Crisis.com. I'd be down to revisit that. I played the original Crisis. Actually, no, no, here's my quick story on that. I played the original Crisis, loved it, didn't finish it, enjoyed it. Played Crisis uh, 2? 2. It went on, I think Origin had it on sale like in 2010 or something, 2011. It was early, it was some sort of sale. And I bought like all three. Played Crisis 2, I think it was, and I got to a part where there's a chopper that comes down, but the chopper, like I destroyed the chopper and then nothing happened. Like I lost the ability to advance. Like there was a checkpoint system that was some sort of bug that was never fixed or patched or something. Does this sound familiar to anyone? I can't be the only one to experience this. I even went and looked up, I think on forums and stuff and people are like, yeah, it's a bug and we can't fix it. And uh, sorry, you're SOL. I'm like, what the fuck? It's like Red Faction having game-breaking bugs. That the, luckily, the community fixed it. But yeah, so that that was my experience with Crisis. So yes, I would love to revisit it. Holy shit. HD Remake, sign me up. I'm down. Cyberpunk Xbox One Edition is announced. Yes, Microsoft is releasing a limited edition Cyberpunk edition of their Xbox One console. It's a one terabyte console, and it is decked out in Cyberpunk uh, flair. I got a picture of it here for you. There it is. Looks pretty nice. I do like it. The controller looks pretty dope. Kind of this uh, two-tone black and silver. Bumpers are all different there. And then it's basically like just a skin. I mean, you know how it is. Just a skin. May have some cool sounds when you hit the uh, power button like the others. Um, and it has this cool stand. You see as it sits upright. I like that. Very, very nice. September 17th is when the game releases. And uh, this here, this console is releasing on in June, June 2020. No, no exact date, but the month is there, June 2020. How about that? Yeah, I like it. I like it. So, folks, do you think uh, Facebook is going to go up against Twitch and YouTube? Well, they're going to try to. Facebook gaming app is going to be launching. It's going to uh, curate and focus on on the streaming gaming community. Although it will focus also on highlighting casual games that people might play online already. It's going to be focusing on the streamers and kind of, I guess, hardcore gaming. The app, which is set to be introduced uh, April 20th of this year, also reportedly only be available on Android devices at first. Then the company will plan to roll out the iOS app as soon as Apple approves it. Yes, that will be a pain in the ass. Apple hates Facebook. I bet you, I bet you they're going to put them through the ringer for months. <laughs> um, that said, Facebook gaming is growing, uh, mind you. I'll put this in, in a bullet point to, to, to let you know about because, yeah, I mean, love them or hate them. Most people hate them with good reason. I think that uh, it's crazy to see that the Facebook gaming is actually growing. Uh, between, uh, let's see, a 210% within a year, December 2018 to December 2019, it grew 210% in viewership. It's pretty big. It's pretty big. Now, it's still a very, very small uh, thumbprint in the ecosystem there because uh, Twitch and YouTube have ma major market share. But Facebook gaming is trying to come in and compete. Who else is going to do it, right? I mean, who else is going to do it? They're going to try. They're definitely going to try. 
I think the only way that Facebook is going to compete with uh, Twitch or YouTube and or any anybody at all is if they just get their shit together. They need to fix all of the security holes that they have. And um, that's number one. That's number one. But uh, even still, Facebook... Uh, yeah, man. I mean, it's there's some people that only use Facebook. There's people that don't use Facebook because of many reasons. And I mean, hey, love it or hate it, that is happening. That is coming through. So we'll see what we'll see how that how that plays a role in the uh, the future there. Um, that's all I have for gaming news. You see, it wasn't a whole lot. No tech news at all, except for I'm now uh, my, my good friend and patron Ryan uh, wrote me, sent me an email, and he was talking about the 48 kilohertz movement in audio. I don't want to get too deep into this audio geek stuff, but I want to just quickly talk about, I'm now recording the podcast and I should have been doing it from the beginning, but I was thinking that originally when I started podcasting, 44.1 is supported, which is, we're talking about sample rates. We're talking about bit rates. We're talking about things like that, audio quality. So 44.1 times a second is how many data points is plotted and captured, all right? Well, 48K, so 48,000 times, as opposed to 44.1 thousand times. Is this all making sense? I know, I'm geeking out. It's more, more points being captured, higher resolution audio. Okay, most and I would say most because you can have it be either, either or, but 48K is all video. That's supported by video. I've always had compatibility issues with that because I'm importing MP3s. I'm importing audio that's 44.1 into a 48K session. We have issues. We have dropouts. We have sync issues, right? Their, their sync is number one. I've had to convert audio to fix, to go with audio, to go with video. It's a complete shit show. I wish 48K was adapt was adopted and adapted throughout from the beginning, but 44.1 is CD. So that's where it comes from, CD quality. Well, a lot of people don't have CD players anymore. A lot of people don't even have a CD, CD-ROM drive in their PC. When you build a new PC, you don't even get a CD-ROM drive. I did. I opted for one because they're cheap. They're only like 10 bucks extra. And why not? I have fucking discs. I have crazy discs. And... I want to import my music, you know, I, so, so I want one because I'm old school and I'm a geek. So it's okay. But most, most people today who don't have any of that don't need one. And that makes total sense. So that format doesn't really need to be used anymore. I think the higher quality, the better, right? So I'm recording the podcast now at 48K. And uh, hopefully that fixes anything with sync. Hopefully that fixes the audio quality should be a little bit better. And I'm doing a test. I'm seeing how much larger the file size is in comparison to recording it at 44.1. And we'll see if it's like a large number, which I don't expect it to be, honestly. Video, now, if it was video, it'd be different. That definitely, the compression and this and that. But audio, not so much. So we'll see how it turns out. Um, Will it be something that you'll audibly hear and notice? Probably not. Probably not. But will it help with editing on my part? Will it help with sync? Probably. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Thanks, Ryan, for the chat. <laughs> we talked about that last week. All right, folks. 
We're going to jump in to the Heine House hotline and take some calls. I think we have three calls this episode. Really appreciate you all taking part and uh, jumping through. Oh, and I have this week in gaming history. How about that? We'll answer the questions. Then we'll wind up. This will be the first time I ever did it at the end of the show. We'll say goodbye with this week in gaming history. How about that? Sounds like a plan, Stan. Good deal, Neil. 503-908-5490 is the phone number. 503-908-5490. That is what you want to call. And talk to me about anything. You want to talk about, let's talk about this cheating that's going on in games. Let's talk about that. Talk about what games you're playing. Talk about what's going on. You know, you're going to see later the Game Boy. The Game Boy has a birthday this week. We can talk about Game Boy. What are your favorite Game Boy games? Yeah, let's talk about that. Super Mario Land, please. I know it's on there. It's got to be. All right, let's jump into the phones here. Hello, Alice here. I wanted to comment on a few things from some of the past episodes that I haven't had a chance to comment on yet. I've been really busy and just haven't had the opportunity to make a voice recording in a while. So here goes. So first, I wanted to comment on the whole physical versus digital thing. One more point for physical that I didn't hear anyone else mention is when I'm looking for what game I want to play next, what I do to decide is I look through my physical game shelves and I see all the games and I look at the box art and the manuals, the, the back of the box, the back of the boxes, and just really see what pops out to me at the time. And you really can't do that with digital games. You just have that list on Steam or good old games or whatever you use. And nothing just really pops out to me on those. So yeah, there's one more benefit to physical games, I would say. Completely agree. Next, I would like to talk about the game soundtracks. You had an episode talking about that quite a bit. And I absolutely love game soundtracks. I have a ridiculous amount of them. I listen to them all the time, and I wanted to give a few recommendations of some of my favorites that you might not have heard before. Oh, great. And then I also have a question afterwards, too. Oh, great. Awesome. So, first, I would like to recommend the soundtrack for Blue Reflection. Hmm. It's a gust RPG on the PlayStation 4. It's a really fun game, but the soundtrack is incredible. Like, there's some really, really nice piano stuff in there. And then just really epic electronic music that you would not expect that just fits so well. And is so different from anything I've heard from any other game. And you just have to check it out. Next, I would recommend Atelier Furious. That game also has just really nice music. It has a very Celtic feel to it. Lots of woodwinds and really cool instruments that you don't hear in game soundtracks very often. And then next, I would like to recommend the soundtrack for Shin Megami Tensei, Devil Summoner, and Devil Summoner Soul Hackers. They're two games, two soundtracks, but they're kind of in the same vein. It's really, really chill music. It just puts you in a good mood. Like, if you ever need to relax and just feel good, put that on. It's it's really nice. And then next one I would want to I would like to recommend is Valkyria Chronicles on the PlayStation 3. The soundtrack for that, composed by Sakimoto Hitoshi, my favorite game composer, 
is absolutely incredible. Like, just the main theme and all the variations and then all the other songs in it just fit so well. They're a joy to listen to on their own, even when you're not playing the game. It's really great. Sign of a good soundtrack, And the yeah. last one I would like to recommend is El Shaddai. Hmm. It's a PlayStation 3 game, uh, cel-shaded graphics. It's a, it's really unique. Well, that sounds good. I haven't played on the, another game like it. And the music is really cool. There's a lot of nice choral stuff in there and just a really big variety in general. And a lot of stuff that you don't generally hear in games. So, yeah, there there's five soundtracks that... Wow. I think you should all listen to if you haven't heard them before. Definitely. You might be surprised. You might like them. And then my question is, if you could only listen to three game soundtracks oh. for the rest of your life, come on, what Alice. would they be and why? <laughs> for me, I think I have to pick Final Fantasy fourteen, And I would pick that one because there's so much music in that game. And it's all Man. really, really incredible. Um, it's not my favorite Final Fantasy soundtrack, but it's the most varied and it, the most consistent in terms of quality, I would say. That's such a and hard question. And then the next one I would pick is Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. In my opinion, it's the best Final Fantasy soundtrack ever made. It just fills my soul. It's so good. I could listen to it forever. So it has to be in my list. And then... For my last pick, it's a tie between Maple Story and Little Busters. Mm, wow. Okay. I can only pick three, so flip a coin. Both <laughs> fill the same void for me. I would be fine with either one. They're both really great. And last, I would like to give an honorable mention to the Sonic R soundtrack. Oh, yeah, that's a great I think one. We as a gaming community need to come together and just admit that Sonic R has the most banging soundtrack of all time. <laughs> Who can deny it? True. Whether you admit it or not, you have to love that soundtrack. You yeah, know? <laughs> it, it is good. It is good. But anyways, thank you so much for all the great podcast episodes. They've been an absolute joy to listen to. I've really been enjoying them. And I apologize for the really, really long recording. I hope it was at least a little entertaining. It was fantastic. Alice, thank you so much. Wow, there was a lot in there. We'll, we'll break down some of this. Thank you for your question. Thank you for putting together such great questions. Thanks for the recommendations. I think everyone out here will benefit from that. And thank you for your support, both listening and on Patreon. Um, you brought up a great point about the physical copies. And that's also one thing that you're right. We didn't really talk too much about is that when you want to go play a game, I love going to the collection and just looking at one, look, you start with the spine, then you pull out the game and you start to look at it, look at the back again, Read everything up, open it up. You've got the manual you can go through. I mean, again, that's just one aspect about having physical games that is lost today. And you're right. When you go into your Steam or Origin or Uplay or whatever have you, and you look at the game, it's just basically a, a cover. It's just a cover, a picture. And you lose everything else that went along with that. Now, some can argue that those games didn't even have, some of the newer games don't even have it. They just weren't made with it. But the older stuff, yeah, man. Absolutely. Even if it's a jewel case. Let's pull out. Here we go. Rampage 2. Universal Tour. Like, look at this. Midway. You look on the back. You know, you can see all the, the gameplay and stuff like that. Like, it's just it's fantastic. You open it up. Like, oh, you know, there's a the disc. There's, there's art behind the disc. 
I know this may seem like crazy to some people, but I love this stuff. You start, you know, flipping through the full color manual. Like, like, look at this, right? You go into it. Look, you want to write to Midway. You want to send in for a, you know, you, you want to give your warranty information to them. You know, send it on over. They're not in business anymore, but, the, you know, send it on over. There's all the characters, right? Kind of out of focus, but, you know, there's the characters. Talks about them, shows their abilities. What the Mega Food Boost does. Curtis, he likes cheese. Would you have known that from looking at the cover in Steam? No. Exactly. Great, great choice and great question there, Alice. You asked one of, you know, these these questions come through, and they're difficult. They're difficult to uh, to put together. At least they are for me. What top? What are the three video game soundtracks you would listen to for the rest of your life if you could only listen to three? That's such a hard question. You had some great picks there, Final Fantasy. I feel like it. You should be listening to at least one of these. Has to be some sort of RPG because it's so varied. And so massive. What do you got, like 30 songs, right, in an RPG? So, yeah, I have to say, I would have to say, number one, I would have to listen to Chrono Trigger. It's honestly one of the most fantastic, brilliant, varied, emotional, and exciting soundtracks I've ever heard in a game. It's fantastic. It has great moods. It has suspense. It has battle. It has um, everything. It just has everything. It's a perfect soundtrack. You guys know I'm going to say Donkey Kong Country. You know I'm going to say it. I mean, how how can you not? How can you deny? How can you deny the most epic soundtracks? I think that they're, again, another soundtrack that has themed songs for the levels that just fit. Aquatic Ambience, probably one of the greatest produced songs on the console, on the system. David Wise, um, amazing stuff. There's so many, I mean, I want to say like, dude, even like Killer Instinct, early rare stuff. Um, how about Ridge Racer Type 4? I've said this before. That that game, fantastic. It has that early 90s techno, that pop, it's so good. Pick a game, pick a game. Are you kidding me? Star Fox? Have you listened to that soundtrack recently? Have you listened to that? I don't know. It's, um, those are hard questions. Great questions. And uh, I appreciate the recommendations for sure. Wow. Yeah. You got me going on that one. I'm thinking about all these different games, but yeah, great stuff there. Thank you, Alice. Appreciate that. Hey, Jason. It's Chris from Fort St. John, BC again. Feeling a lot better now. Still taking time off work. Good, man. But, Good. Uh, I got an R4 gold card, a uh, little SD card, like a flash thing for my DS Lite. And uh, I've been diving into some games I wouldn't normally buy or want to try. And I got Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare on the DS. And I've never played any of the portable DS Call of Duty games. Uh, they they have Black Ops, all three Modern Warfares, and World of War. They're all on there. Uh, I know. It's weird, right? Call of Duty 4 is exceptional. Uh, it is insane how well it plays, how good the controls are. It's got like a Metroid Prime Hunters kind of control scheme, but it really keeps the Call of Duty essence alive. It's it's really feels like Call of Duty 4 on the PS3 or even on the Wii, but scaled down to the DS, which given that it's an early DS game from 2007 is crazy impressive. It, it is crazy to think uh, about, yeah. So I look forward to diving into that series on that system more. My question for you is, what are some good first-person shooters on some older portable handhelds 
consoles. We, you can include Game Boy Advance. I know there were like Duke Nukem and Doom ports that were pretty good on there. Some Medal of Honor on there that wasn't so good. Uh, like DS, 3DS, Vita, PSP, any of that. So yeah, I'd be interested to hear some Dark Horse first person shooter recommendations, uh, on those older portable systems. Have a good one, guys. Hey, thank you, Chris. And I'm so glad to hear you're doing better, taking time off work and recovering. It's great to hear from you. Thank you for the question. I'm actually going to pause the podcast, go into the game room and pull out some games because I think I have some in there that I'll recommend for you. Okay. Just paused for the cause, went into the other room, grabbed a few games. Now, some of these you already mentioned, of course. I'll I'll just comment a little bit about each one briefly here. Um, You already mentioned Doom, and I'm talking about Game Boy Advance here. Um, This is what I had out there. We, We can talk more about this. You know, I can go dig out all the other games. We can talk more about it. But so Doom, you mentioned Doom already. Yeah. A port of Doom on Game Boy Advance, surprisingly, is very, very good. These games look really nice, too, on the Game Boy screen and play really, really nice. And surprisingly, even though I think you have a limited range of, you know, you don't have analog and stuff, these games weren't designed for analog, but you use L and R to strafe and the D-pad to move around. It actually works really, really well. And I love the I love the controls, and I love the fact that you get um, Doom and also Doom 2. Doom 2 was also on Game Boy Advance. And what's nice about these games, too, uh, all the games, actually, I'm talking about, they all have multiplayer with the Game Boy Link cable. So if you have another copy of the game and the Link cable, you can plug these up and get at least two players. Most of these games, uh, this one, I think it's just two players, like co-op action, I believe. The next one here, you already talked about Duke Nukem Advance, Duke Nukem 3D. It's basically... Duke Nukem 3D, but more kind of scaled towards almost exclusive game modes. Like this version of Duke is is like Duke 3D, but it's not the same game. They have different levels, different design. They have some, um, I think they even have different weapons in here as well. But what's nice about this game, four-player multiplayer with a link cable. Yes, you can play four-player deathmatch. On GBA, can you believe it? It's amazing. So, yeah. So go on in there, check that out. But the one that I'll get you that you don't know about that you're looking for, I know what you're looking for. You know about those other games, but you're looking for this. Ballistic X versus Server. This is what you're looking for. You're like, what the hell are you talking about? This is a first-person shooter. Think Call of Duty meets Matrix meets CSI. You're basically this person named X. You're versus this like server where you have to go in. You have to escort uh, or it has multiplayer missions where you escort like a VIP around. You can do that with, uh, with in co-op. Um, basically, it's like realistic weapons, like real weapons, but set in sort of this future where you're fighting this computer virus type thing. It's a really, really cool, kind of corny and cheesy, but tons of fun. Great game. I think you'll really, really like this. It's from BAM Entertainment, so be careful there. BAM! Peanut butter and jam! BAM! There it is. Uh, More than 24 single-player missions, massive array of realistic weapons, hand-to-hand items, pistols, shotguns, assault rifles, sniper rifles, grenades, dynamic character interaction for a more realistic experience on Game Boy Advance. Check this game out and holler at me after you play it. Ballistic X E C K S X verse server. Chris and BC, my man, thank you for the call. Appreciate you greatly. 
All right, jump right back into the phones here. This is the last one of the night. Hey, what's up, Jason? Cameron Johnson, the maniac of voicemail. Voicemail! Uh, maniac! Question for you. <laughs> so I've been kind of thinking a lot about, I don't know, controllers. I think you brought that up in the last podcast. Oh, yeah, we talked a lot about that. Talking about, you know, uh, triggers on the new Xbox controller, or, you know, different uh, variations on you know design for you know Xbox, PS, PlayStation, etc., and talking about the new controllers coming out. Anyway, I was thinking. Uh, my question for you is, um, <clears throat> what are your favorite? Uh, we'll say controller for retro games, or for anything without like um, you know, like a double analog stick thing, which is sort of like the modern standard. So anything for that, and then anything, I guess, for the you know, I guess of the modern consoles, I'm not sure exactly where you draw the line. Um, what's funny for me, I've really been enjoying my Sega Genesis six button controller. Um, I'd probably say that's probably my favorite retro controller that, and maybe even the Saturn controller and then the, uh, um, Super Nintendo. And then as far as modern controllers, um, <clears throat> I'm not super picky, but I've always enjoyed, the uh, PlayStation controllers, although I do agree with the whole trigger thing, it's they can be kind of awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, it's it's kind of fun to have seen you know how the controllers have evolved. I feel like we had a lot more variety back when they were sort of you know just starting out. Um, to where they are now, it's a lot more cookie cutter. Although, as you mentioned before, the uh, the, the new PS. Is it PS5 now, I guess? Yeah. Um, that controller, like you said, it's just it's a lot more different than Sony has put out in the past. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'm long-winded, as you know, but I uh, hope you have a great uh, great Monday. Um, I guess that's when this is going up. So yes, sir. Uh, we'll talk soon. Cameron, thank you so much. The man, Cam, voicemail maniac on the boards again. Appreciate that. Thanks for calling and always throwing down on great questions. Thanks, everyone, for calling. It's been a fantastic... Great, great questions. I love talking about games with the community here. Um, in fact, another another one. You guys, this is great. You're making me pause the show. I'm going to go grab some other controllers and talk to you about this, Cameron, because I do have some thoughts on this. Be right back here. All right, Cameron. I just went in and got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven controllers that I have laid out here in front of me that I'm going to show and talk about. I'm going to give you a quick rundown quick breakdown on what I think are my favorites. This isn't a definitive uh, list, but some of the favorites. So starting from the very top, uh, I think this right here, the Super Nintendo controller is probably one of the best, if not the best for retro. It has a Nintendo D-pad, which is unmatched. It has enough buttons, four face buttons, which has become standard. Start and select right there, rubber buttons, great has L and R shoulder buttons, and also it's so comfortable, this controller. It fits in your hand, the curved edges, it fits nice. Nintendo went above and beyond on this controller and really changed the industry with this controller. This is really what the industry knew and became as default after this. They really changed everything. This particular one is my imported uh, Super Famicom Classic controller. It's designed for Wii. I haven't even opened it because I just I just love it. And I've used classic controllers before, but I really wanted this. But uh, very cool. All right, so that's number one. You know, it's great to use for your classic games on Wii, but also, you know, anytime you're playing retro stuff, it's it's there. It's a good, great controller. 
moving on from there, we're going to jump right into like N64 days. I'll try to do it in order of timeline. This right here, another import. This is my imported uh, Hori mini pad. This is the absolute best way to play N64, I feel. And I've owned a lot of controllers, Mad Cats. I have, I have the Docs wireless controllers for N64. Um, I've used many, many different types of N64 controllers. I feel that this Hori mini pad is probably the best way to do it. Now, Retrobit and a bunch of other companies have since come through and made great controllers. The Brawler, the Brawler, oh, go look that up. In fact, I think I kickstarted a Brawler. I think I bought one. I don't know if I'm supposed to get it anytime soon or not. But anyway, um, before all of these third-party companies came out and made controllers, this was the best way to play N64. It is a proper um, joystick from the GameCube. It has all the buttons laid out here. It has a really small D-pad in the center because you really don't use the D-pad a lot in N64 games. They know that. So they they put it down there and made the joystick larger, rubber rubber top, and it has great resolution. This is fantastic. Yes, I do like the N64 controller. I'll be one of the weird ones out. I do like it, and I do like the analog joystick, although they wear out. That's their common flaw. They wear out pretty quick, especially if you use it a lot. But if you don't have one of those or you have a bad joystick, try to import one of these. I don't know. At the time, when I bought this at the time, I think I paid like 60 bucks for this. At the time, this was maybe 15 years ago at this point. I don't know what the price is on these, but they always hold their value. I think last time I looked, it was maybe six or seven years ago. They were like over 100 bucks, 140 bucks or 120 bucks or something. They're kind of expensive. So that might be out of... Uh, reach but still if you do it you'll be you'll be greatly rewarded this is a great controller moving right along from there i know you might be thinking hey jason why are you just showing all nintendo controllers well folks because nintendo has always innovated of their controllers and i feel that they have done a great job overall personally i'm not really a fan of the genesis three button controller i don't like the feel of it i don't like you click the buttons it feels hollow inside it's just a weird really the controller I want to say master system. No, I don't really like just that square D pad. It's like a block, like a chunk of cheese just sitting there. I don't, I don't really like it. It doesn't really work all that well. The Saturn 3d controller for nights in the dreams. Great controller had great analog triggers were nice. Love it. Dreamcast. I love the controller too, but the analog stick is kind of weak, really small, thin, doesn't have a gr grip on the top resolution's not that great. You know, these are things that like, it's not all about Nintendo. Believe me, I'm not a fanboy. It's just that I give credit where I think credit is due. And this, the GameCube controller, is one of the greatest. Look at that trigger. Look at that trigger. Look at that indentation. Your finger, it rests in there like a pillow. It's so soft. And oh, just listen to that. It has analog all the way down. And also, it clicks at the very bottom. Brilliant. Love the controller. Uh, uh, love the joystick. Has two joysticks. They're. I don't know. I think using it for dual joystick games is probably not not the greatest. This little C joystick is not really the best. It's kind of a small little nub, but it gets the job done. Uh, D-pad is small. Again, emphasizing the use of a joystick as opposed to the D-pad. It does work, and it's nice, but not as functional. And this is the WaveBird. So this is the wireless. This is the, really the way to play GameCube if you're going to be playing that. WaveBird wireless. I know this is... A, hey, you're going to be long-winded. I'm going to be long-winded. All right, we talked about that. We talked about that. Boom. All right, moving forward. Uh, this was released. Uh, I'll show you. I'll show you. The, I have a couple of cool and rare things here at the end I'll show. Um, moving forward, folks, tried, true, tested, and official. If you're going to be playing 
Xbox 360, games on Windows, PC. This is the industry standard, the Xbox 360 controller. I don't need to say much about this. You guys already know. It's fantastic. The, the analog triggers, look at that. Almost, it just lays flat. Look at that. Flat. Take note. Take note. All right, it doesn't bend down and around. They're brilliant. The joysticks are great. Uh, this is the wireless one, but I have wired ones that I like to use for PC, so I don't mess with batteries, stuff like that. But uh, yeah, put the batteries here in the back. Boom. In you go. Great controller. Syncs up to Windows. Works on 360. Fantastic. Love it. Moving forward, I think we can talk a whole episode about motion controls too. I think the Wii Remote is brilliant. This is also, this is the Sony Move controller. And although if you can get over this little uh, bulbous top here, this is for safety and also to show it picks, uh, this lights up with a certain color LED of the number that it is so that the camera can see it and also track its, its motion. So you're like, what is this big ball on top? It actually lights up and uh, it's flashing battery's dead. But uh, yeah, these are great. Use these for um, uh, VR games on PS4. I use it for Gun Club. This is a, it's a uh, basically a target shooting simulator on PS4. Great, great remote. I love this. It's very comfortable. Sony, you did this shit right. Look at that. And that trigger. Look at that trigger. It's right. It goes in and stops and it feels good. Dude, implement. Holy shit, it's just happening. It's just it's coming to me. Implement this trigger on your new fucking controller. It's that simple. Dude, not only that, it has it like it's curved. Look at that. It's like curved. It like fits your. Bro, get some help. Stop it. Get some help. Stop it. Get, get, get some help. It's perfect. Implement that on your new controller. Done deal. Solved. It's great. Anyway, but I love this. It's very responsive. Very, very nice. All right, we talked about those few things. And moving on. Uh, this here, Final Fantasy XIV. When it was released on PC, all my Final Fantasy friends, I hope you like this. I brought this out just for you. When it was released on PC, they did release a controller, an exclusive controller, to play that game, uh, to play the game with. So here it is. This is the Final Fantasy 14. Uh, you probably can't see that. There we go. Pretty nice there. It has a USB plug, a very long cable as well. See, I tied it up. I think it's like a eight-foot cable. It's very, very long. Uh, we actually found this out thrifting maybe four or five, maybe even six years ago at this point. But uh, as you see, it has numbers on there. It says 9 and 10. 9 and 10, they're, they're labeled. And on here, it's not X, Y, A, and B. It's 1 two, three, four, here's nine and 10, uh, vibration button on or off has analog buttons. So you can turn that on or off, use the D pad, which is a nice, it's a massive thick and very, very nice feeling D pad. Honestly, give it to them. This controller was made by immersion and there it is. Final fantasy 14 online controller. Uh, I don't, I don't know that it's rare or anything like that, but it's way cool. And you can use this for your PC for not only uh, Final Fantasy, but this is this maps to anything. You can use it to play your PC games. Now, just remember, you don't have analog triggers. You don't need analog triggers in Final Fantasy. This is specific to Final Fantasy. This is understandable. Yeah, but they're nice. The grips are really nice. Feels good in the hand. Your analog sticks are right there. They click. Very, very nice. Great controller. Wanted to show you guys that there. Just, just for the hell of it. And then finally, the amazing... I've talked about this a million times, but this right here, this is the uh, uh, plug and play TV games, Namco plug and play. This features Ms. Pac-Man, Mappy, Xevious, and Galaga, 
and pull position. And you may say to yourself, that's pretty cool, but uh, like, what's the, what's the deal with this? Cool. We love Ms. Pac-Man. And everyone who bought this probably bought it for Ms. Pac-Man. They're like, oh, I love Ms. Pac-Man. Well, the game on here is pole position, folks. Pole position. This is, if you ever see this out in the wild, you need to pick it up. Because when you play pole position, you may think, oh, I'm going to go into the game and I'm going to go left and right and move my joystick. No. If you look at this, there's this little, this little like red flappy thing here. It's actually, they made it. You can see it. It's, it's loose. All right. It's just, it's on the bottom. And it says on here, twist control with arrows pointing left and right. Folks, this has proper analog control for pole position. What you do is you take this and you twist it. Twist left, twist right. It's like turning a key in a car. It goes and it stops. It goes and it stops left and right. So when you play, this has great analog control, just like the arcade did. Honestly, this, this here is superior to all other ports and versions of pole position minus the arcade. Arcade has the big wheel, very accurate, very uh, uh, sensitive. But playing on a controller, even like uh, a joystick like this, it's not as good as playing it with this. I've been talking about, I talked about this on All Gen Gamers years ago. I brought this up so long, so long ago. Like this controller has almost become infamous. Like everyone's been talking about it. Everyone's starting to learn about it and see it. But man, this thing here, incredible. So great stuff there. If you ever find that, pick it up. I think it was like 15 bucks when it was new, something like that. But go look online. I have no idea what the prices are. But when I see them, when I'm out thrifting, we used to see them all the time. I swoop in, I pick them up. Wow, long-winded for that. How about that? I hope you guys um, enjoyed that. Great trip down memory lane talking about controllers. I think we're going to wrap it up. Let's wrap it up with this week in gaming history. I didn't think my episode would be as long because it didn't have a lot of news articles, but your questions and then this kind of happened. This is great. This is great. All right, so let me pull up this gaming history and let's talk about it. It's time for this week in gaming history. That's right. All right, we're going to talk about games that were released in history on the dates that this podcast comes out. April 19th through April 25th. Folks, are you ready? Here we go. In 1982, Dig Dug in the arcade in Japan. 1987, Rocky on the Master System in Japan. Adrian! 2001, Spider-Man, Spider-Man on Dreamcast. <laughs> 2011, Conduit 2. That is that first-person shooter co-op Sega-produced game on Wii. Great, great game. The first one was great, too. Uh, same day, same year, 2011, Portal 2 on 360 and on PS3. How about that? Turn on the valve a little bit. Maybe I'd inspect it a little closer with my monocle. Next day, April 20th in 1995, Knuckles Chaotix on 32X. In 2000, Mega Man Legends 2 on PS1 in Japan was released. 2004, Hitman Contracts on OG Xbox and PC. 2006, Okami on PS2 in Japan. And the one, the only, the greatest, one of the greatest, if not the greatest racing game on Nintendo Wii, my and your favorite, Excitebots Trick Racing. 
right there. Got it in the big box with the wheel. How about that? We love it. We love it. We display it. We show respect to it. Moving on to the next day, April 21st in 1984, Duck Hunt on NES in Japan. Remember, folks, when we got it in the U.S., they bundled it with Mario Mario Bros. (laughs) Mario Brothers. This is the Brothers. Uh, Mario Bros. But in Japan, it was a separate game. Can you imagine paying full price for just Duck Hunt? I don't know. I think people were excited because it was like the light gun and everything. It was cool. It was cool. I don't want to say it was a gimmick. It was actually really cool technology. Good stuff. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, in 1989, the original Game Boy. Whoa. The Game Boy is having a birthday. We should talk about our favorite Game Boy games. Maybe I'll uh, I'll go into uh, talk about that on next episode. Bring out some Game Boy games that I really like. Talk about that. Or send me a, a voicemail. We'll talk about that too. It'll be really cool. Um, 1989, Super Mario Land on Game Boy in Japan. One of the greatest. 2015 Shovel Knight on PS4 was released. 2015 there. And finally, in 2016, on April 21st, Star Fox Zero on Wii U in Japan was released. Moving on to the next day, April 22nd in 2003, Ninja 5 on Game Boy Advance. Really quick story about this. In 2014, I think. In 2014, I think. 2013? Anyway, one of those years. When we were at Portland Retro Gaming Expo in Portland, Oregon, I was out there hanging out with Mr. Pete Dorr. And actually, he bought this game there at the show and was showing it. And we were sitting there at Burgerville. I remember this. We were at Burgerville having having food on the last day. And he had all of his games out. And I had all my games. And we were kind of like showing each other what we picked up. And, what, and this was one of the games he picked up. And that's actually when I learned about it. I didn't know about this game at that point. He said, yeah, it's a really uncommon kind of rare game. And it's starting to go up in price. And so he picked it up. I don't remember what he paid for it. I think it was pretty pretty expensive. I think he said he paid like, gosh, I don't want to be wrong. But it was something crazy. Like he paid like 200 bucks or something for the game, which it normally sells for like 400 or something. I don't know what it was. Some crazy number, but Ninja 5.0. Really cool game there. 2004 Mario Golf Advance Tour on Game Boy Advance was released. And 2008 Turok PC. This was the reboot, not like original Turok Dinosaur Hunter. This was this was the reboot that came out on PC. It was on PS3 as well, but I think on a different date. Uh, 2009, Mist on iOS. 2013's Dead Island Riptide. This was the DLC expansion to the original Dead Island. One of my favorites, as you know, Dying Light, one of my favorite games. Zombie games for sure, but Dead Island really was a great game for its time. Loved it. We played through that a lot. And 2019, a year ago, this day, Mortal Kombat 11 on Switch was released. Oh, a day early. You'll see this on my list tomorrow. It launches for all the other platforms. But for some reason, the Switch got it a day early. Hey, how about that? Maybe it's a little pre-order bonus. Maybe I'll inspect it a little closer with my monocle. Uh, we'll move on to the next day. April 23rd in 1993, DuckTales. woo DuckTales, woo! Yeah, how about that? DuckTales 2, NES, in Japan. 1993, the 7th Saga in Japan on Super Nintendo. 2001, Rumble Racing, which is kind of like a Micro Machines kind of ripoff wannabe. It's a great game, though. Love it. Uh, On PS2. 2019, a year ago, there it is. Here we go. Mortal Kombat 11 on PC, PS4, and Xbox One. 
All right, we got two days left here. April 24th and 2000 Metal Gear Solid on Game Boy Color. Game Boy Color. 2006 Rampage Total Destruction on PS2. Oh, I have I have the... Uh, oh, wait. Oh, no, I have Rampage 2. Universal Tour. This was uh, earlier. The prequel. The sequel and the prequel. Um, let's see. Um, what do we have here? Oh, that's it for that day. Rampage, total destruction on PS2. Last day here, April 25th, folks. 1986, Gradius on NES in Japan. Great shoot 'em up. Uh, the amazing, but also confusing for me because I'm kind of a, a noob. 1989's River City Ransom on NES in Japan. I always say this when I bring this game up. We played it and I got lost. We did something in a wrong order. And I guess you have to do things in certain orders, but I have no fucking idea. I need like a strategy guide for this game because I did something wrong and then we couldn't go back because we hadn't done something. I didn't have the right tools or food or something. You have to get certain drinks from the bartender, give it to somebody else. Like fucking A. This is the game that when you'd rent, you'd look at the manual and figure it out. So I need like, honestly, next time I play this game and Steph's been bugging me, she wants to play it and we'll play it. But I need to have a, man, a guide with me straight up. Like no shame. I'm, I need a guide. Hold my hand, bro. Need help. <laughs> um, let's go to a um, couple couple games left here. 2003 Fire Emblem Game Boy Advance. Yes, they did a Fire Emblem on Game Boy Advance in Japan. 2017's Poyo Poyo Tetris. Yes, this was a year ago. Coming up. Oh, no, two years ago. Or three years ago. Oh, man, it felt so new. It felt so fresh. Love those games. And finally, folks, last year, this week, Final Fantasy XII, The Zodiac Age. Uh, in Japan, on Switch, and on Xbox One. I didn't play the hotline sound, so let's do it. <laughs> Hello? You've got voicemail. Thank you all so much for giving us a call on the Heine House voicemail hotline. You want to you wanna rebuttal? You want to talk? You want to Hook up. You want to chat? 503-908-5490 is the hotline. And of course, before we say goodbye, thank you so much to the patrons. I love you. Brandon, George, Aaron, Weldon, Tammy, Sam, Luke, Ryan, Justin, my friends and my family. Much love to you all. on the ground floor, the main floor, and the game lofters. Yes. Patreon.com slash Jason Heine. If you enjoy the show, that's how you show love. This actually keeps it alive, folks. Straight up. Uh, so thank you so much. Doing all I can to give and give back and have some fun. All right. It's been a great episode. Thank you so much for hanging out. Uh, Heinehouse.com is the website. And uh, we'll see you on the next one, episode 50. Although I thought maybe it would be a short episode and not full of stuff. We had great community, great chat, great controllers. You know, we had a good time. We'll see you on the next one. Have a great, great week. Goodbye now.